It's good stuff. Hey, let's look at that uh, scene in Moab. So turn to Numbers chapter 25 in your Bibles. I'm reading out of the NASB 95 here today. You can look up on your phone or you can follow along. It's a, it's a close translation in the Bibles in the seat racks in front of you, which are the New Living Translation. So Numbers chapter 25 is where we're going to be. Prayers that this particular story refreshes you. As uh, we had spring break this week here at Calvary, the kids at Calvary Christian School were off. Uh, we did a couple of construction projects around the campus, and one of the projects was uh, to kind of repair both parking lots, particularly this parking lot on the Wellington side of Calvary. And yesterday when I pulled in, the entire parking lot is just kind of full of dust from the repairs. And then when I pulled in today, it's fresh and clean based on the rain overnight. And in the same way, we pray that God's word would just refresh you, cleanse you in a sense here today. This is a PG-13 story. So particularly those that are watching at home with your kids on the couch right now, you may want to just have a little warning on this. I don't know if you can fast forward live, but maybe you can mute it or something. I'm not going to say anything gratuitous. My mom will not come and take you out of the seats like she did in my story a couple weeks ago in my PG-13 uh, movie experience. But just a little warning, this is kind of a, a gnarly story right here. But I want us to uh, start at the end of the story in Numbers chapter, tw or chapter 25 but verse 18. The title of this message is The Hero Who Stopped the Plague. Look at particularly that last verse of chapter 25, verse 18. So I get there as well. <laughs> and it says this simply as the story concludes. It says, For they have been hostile towards you with their tricks, which they have deceived you in the affair of Pure and in the affair of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian their sister who was slain on the day of the plague because of pure. So just kind of this last scene makes no sense, but I want you to see this idea. You can see it on the screens here too, that the Moabites and then also the Midianites conspired together to deceive the nation of Israel. You see, they saw this million or so plus people group Marching into their land, this land of Moab, the deserts of Moab. And the people were rightfully alarmed. They had heard of this people group, these followers of this God named Yahweh. The stories of them had preceded them, that, that they had been delivered out of amazing captivity that they had this God that showed up to them and, and led them and directed them in really clear and, and powerful ways. And every army that they went against, they eventually had victory in. So the Moabites, they're not dumb. They realize that their land could be threatened by this million plus people group. And, and so they decide to come up with a plan, a plan of deception. Now, every generation has moments where we're tempted to be deceived, where we experience things that aren't true. 
fake news, <laughs> if you will. I'm thinking back even to our grandparents or your parents' generation. They had commercials like this. Doctors prefer this type of brand of cigarettes. <laughs> we talk about deception, right? In the beginning of COVID, there was the whole run of different basic supplies. And, you know, remember the whole toilet paper run? Uh, even in one of the messages uh, in 2020, I talked about myself panicking over the fact of maybe we're going to be out of toilet paper. And I found this ad on Facebook and I clicked on it and it said, you know, a pack of 24 toilet paper for a really cheap price. It will be here in less than seven days. And so I totally went for this ad. And then what arrived in the mail was definitely 24 rolls of toilet paper, but not the size <laughs> that I thought they were going to be. Now, if you remember, it was a little bigger than this, but, um, but it wasn't much bigger, the rolls that I received. Every generation experiences false advertising and deception. Think about some of the most common lies that we experience. People say, I won't laugh. I promise, just tell me the story. Lie. Your table will be ready in a few minutes. So you keep looking at that buzzer in your hand. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's an element of truth wrapped up in that joke. <laughs> I never got your text. Have you ever used that one or had that one used against you? I like this one. I've read and agreed to the terms and conditions. <laughs> How many of you are guilty of lying on that one before? Yes, even this week, that was me. You'll need to know this later in life. You know, you never do. <laughs> I'm fine, or a version of that. No, I'm okay, I'm just tired. Men, men, don't fall for that trap. Don't fall for that trap. <laughs> Dig in deeper with your spouse. <laughs> Okay, just one more episode. <laughs> I'm on my way. I've like used like eight of the 10 of these before in my life. <laughs> Sorry, my parents said no. I still use that one as well as a 46-year-old man. <laughs> Why does each generation struggle with deception, with lying and being lied to? We always got to go back to the beginning, right? Genesis chapter 3. We see the first deception that's given to men and women. Genesis chapter 3, specifically in verse 13. It says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is that that you have done? And the woman said, That serpent deceived me, and I ate. Sin entered the world when the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, were deceived. They were deceived to go against the way of God. The deception looked and sounded like this. Did God really say? Maybe God is holding out on you. Trust yourself and what you think is best over what God says is best. Do your way, not God's way. And they fell for it. The serpent was ultimately behind that deception. 
in the New Testament. That serpent, described as Satan, is noted for his character as a person of lies. In fact, John chapter 8, verse 44, these are Jesus' very words. Jesus says whenever he tells a lie, he speaks for his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. This is our adversary. This is the one who goes against us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. He's a liar. He's deceiving us. Did God really say? And the longer we wait and hope for something, the louder those lies and more believable those lies become. The nation of Israel right here, they're wandering in the desert. As the video said, they spend this year at Mount Sinai. Then they move on from there. And they, they must have thought when they eventually picked up and, and began moving towards the promised land that, oh, it's just going to be a matter of days. We know that the trip would take about two weeks normally. It takes them 40 years. And as they're waiting and hoping for the promised land, they begin to get disillusioned thinking to themselves, did God really say? Does God really have the best for me? Is God holding out on me? That's a lot of our stories as well too, huh? As we wait for things. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse. Maybe you're waiting uh, for a baby. Maybe you're waiting on a job. Maybe you're hoping and waiting for a new set of friends that would lift you up and encourage you. Maybe you're waiting on a son or a daughter or a grandson to come back to Jesus. Whatever you're waiting on, at times it can, it can get difficult and we don't see God moving. And the deceitful one shows up. And tempts us to say, really? Is that the best way just to wait and to trust on God? Certainly you can take matters into your own hands. I remember even in my own story, being in my mid-20s and just being really honest and vulnerable with you guys, my brothers and sisters. I was walking in abstinence and impurity, not wanting to have sex before marriage. But I remember in that time of my life feeling like even my Christian friends were compromising in that area and becoming discouraged and frustrated in my mid-20s, just going, God, is this worth the wait? Can I really trust your promises that, that sex is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman? Is that really what you said? And, and is that really the best for me? And the enemy is showing up in those ways in, the, in that period of my life saying, really? Is that the best for you? God is holding out on you. And that struggle and, and wanting to trust God and, and walk in purity. And yet those lies from the enemy. We all experience it, whatever the category would be. And the nation of Israel was no different here out in the desert of Moab. They experienced deception 
which leads to disobedience and ultimately takes them a place that they vowed they would never go. They disbelieve God and yoke themselves, bow themselves down to a false God. So go to Numbers verse one, chapter 25, verse 1. It says this. While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Now this place, Shittim, is, <laughs> be careful how I say that, is, uh, is also translated acacia trees. And so this is a place in the desert that was full of trees. It's a, it's a little bit of an oasis in the desert. There was shade there. Shade is of premium when you're living out in the hot, scorching desert. And so here in Moab, you have these trees. The Israelites camp near them. They're experiencing some shade and comfort. And maybe because of that, they let their guard down. And they fall into the deception of the Moabites. It says that the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Meaning they were leaving their camps and they were going to have sexual relations with the Moabite women. It's awful. I mean, I want you just to kind of think about this for a moment. This is particularly the men of Israel. Maybe even the leaders of the tribes that are doing this. Leaving their tents and their families. What are the women and kids thinking as these men leave? Hey, we're, we're just going to go over and talk to the Moabites for a little bit. We'll, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be, we'll be back next week, okay? Just, we're going to go do some trading and, and some negotiating, some, some peaceful conversations with the Moabites. The women and children, young men that were left behind, abandoned by their fathers and their leaders. And these leaders give themselves over physically to the Moabites, all part of the deception. And then the story goes on. For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. This is crazy. So, these Israelite men leave their families. They have relations over here in Moab. And not only that, but they bow down to the gods of the Moabites. In some translations, it says they became yoked with the gods of the Moabites. What did that look like? It could have been they just prostrated themselves on the ground. It could have been they got like a tattoo or something that would identify them with the God of the Moabites. We, we don't necessarily know, but what we do know is they gave allegiance. One version says they began following Baal. So sad. And then verse three continues. It says, so Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor and the Lord was angry against Israel. This is the first mention of the idol Baal. Baal would become kind of a thorn in the flesh to the nation of Israel. You'd read about their temptation to worship this false god throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Baal was a weather god. And so 
he was kind of to be appeased in order to determine or to kind of allow the weather to kind of happen. And so you're living out in the desert, you're dependent on it to rain every once in a while for water, for sustenance. And so these people would sacrifice to Baal in order to hopefully have the weather outcome that they wanted. But the worship of Baal, as we read throughout the Old Testament, was really, really disgusting. Included things like child sacrifice, relations between adults and children, the abuse of women, human trafficking. I mean, it's just the grossest and ugliness and unmentionable things that we could ever even imagine. This is what the Moabites were involved in. This is what the Israelite men leaders gave themselves over to. And it says that God was angry. It's kind of an understatement, huh? We read here in verses 4 and 5 that sin has consequences. That when you're deceived and you give yourself over to disobedience, that eventually leads to just even just pushing God out of the way and, and attaching yourself to something else. There's consequences to that. This is a little heavy, so I thought I'd show you kind of a funny picture of a boy in his class who decided that he would see what happened when he stuck his head through the back end of a chair in his classroom. <laughs> Every choice has consequences, right? I love this photo. <laughs> but it's true. Even as believers, followers of Jesus who have been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, sin has consequences. And we see here in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 25 that it says, The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. So it's basically a public execution. That these men who had abandoned their families and had abused women were now called for judgment. And not only that, but they were actually, Moses is told by God to execute them publicly to, to show this a million plus people group that sin is serious and God is holy. And so Moses begins to somehow carry this plan out, this call by God. But then in verse 6, we begin to read about the hero who stopped the plague. Look at verse 6. It says, Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought his relatives, or came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. So let me try to like give you like a, a, a word picture of this. So Moses is called by God to execute those who had, had wandered away from him. And as he's going to carry this out, the, the judges, the other leaders of Israel are in front of the tent of the meeting. They're in front of the church, so to speak, the place where God's presence is. And they're weeping. 
They're weeping either A, that their brothers are about to be judged, or B, that they're part of that judgment and they're just crying out to God for mercy. And so the, here they are just repentant in front of the tent of the meeting. And we read about this man who later is identified as a guy named Zimri who takes a woman, a Midianite. So the Moabites were the ones that they had been yoked to, but now the Midianites show up. And so there's some type of coalition, Midianites and Moabites against the Israelites being deceived. And it says that he took this woman and in the sight of the entire congregation of Israel basically paraded her into his tent. So, weeping, repentance, judgment about to happen. And then there's this guy taking a Midianite, maybe prostitute, and he's walking her through the men, through the assembly, to his tent. Now, one commentator thinks that actually he wasn't taking her to his tent, but he was taking her to the tent, the tent of meeting. That he was planning to have a sinful relationship with her actually in God's house. And so this is kind of the, the stakes of, of what are happening here. And then look at verse 7. It says, when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he arose from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand. So Zimri takes which we, this woman, the Midianite woman named Cosby. They're parading maybe into his tent or into the actual sanctuary to have this relationship going against God. And all of a sudden this man Phineas stands up out of the crowd. The grandson of Aaron, so Phineas, has priestly duties. He's a pastor. He's in charge of part of the worship and the sacrifices for the people. And here's Phineas standing up and he grabs a spear. What's he going to do? Look at the next verse. Verse 8. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through the body. So the plague on the son's of Israel was checked. This is, if you thought the book of Numbers was crazy, now we hit chapter 25. <laughs> so Phineas grabs a spear, races into the tent, and there's Cosby and Zimri having a relationship, and he then spears them through their bodies, which, without getting too graphic here, they were having some type of relationship that he was able to spear both of them at the same time. So he spears them, kills them, and then it just says that, oh, and God stopped the plague. Wait, wait what plague? What's, go what's going on here? And we look at verse 9. It says, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So God had called the leaders who had sinned with the Moabite women he had called them to judgment. Moses was to round them up and have a public ex execution. And also part of the consequences of sin was this plague hit the camp with 
you can imagine, you know, in, in COVID world, we can, we can guess how things spread. With a million people all camping close by together, you could see how a sickness or illness would spread from tent to tent, camp to camp. And it said 24,000 people, maybe many of them who were innocent, yet had experienced the consequences of sin. But Phineas here stabs his fellow Israelite brother who's having this relationship with a Midianite woman and the plagues stop. And we have a hero here who stops the plague. Then it goes on to describe how the Lord feels about Phineas. Verse 10, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. Verse 13, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. So God commends Phineas for his justice in this moment, not allowing God's tent and God's people to be plagued anymore by the consequences of sin, not allowing someone to parade unrighteousness before a holy God. It says here, though, that it says that, that he, he stood for my jealousy, which is kind of a, a weird word for us to attach to God. And I want to spend just a moment trying my best to unpack that. This idea that God is a jealous God. In uh, our cultural definition of what jealousy is, you see dictionary.com say this. It's a feeling of resentment against someone because of that person's rivalry, success, or advantages. It is characterized by or proceeds from suspicious fears or envious resentment. So in other words, jealousy culturally is I want that <laughs> or you belong to me and I'll let no one else share you. So that's how our culture looks at jealousy, right? I want what you have or you can't have what I have. And I think we all understand that. It's kind of a shared definition. A biblical definition, though, it starts here in, in Exodus and the giving of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, we see that God gives these commandments to the people and he says right off the bat, this is the second commandment, you shall not make it for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You guys all know Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> Oprah actually walked away by her own admission from biblical Christianity because in her mid-20s, she was in a Baptist church in Chicago and she heard the pastor talk about the idea that God is jealous. And Oprah, where she was at in her life, could not accept that that described God. Either the pastor had it wrong and he was misreading the Bible or if that was really true, she didn't want to follow a God that would describe himself as jealous. So how are we to reconcile this idea of 
Jealousy in our culture is a bad thing. It's being possessive or it's wanting what somebody else has. Versus this idea of God's nature, including jealousy. Well, I like what the theologian J.I. Packer has to say about this. He says, it's his holiness reacting to evil in a way that's morally right and precious. God's jealousy is never because he wants something that he doesn't have in a way that like a three-year-old grabs a toy from their sibling. God's jealousy is not done because of his insecurity or not displayed because of some insecurity he has. God's jealousy is manifested when he sees his people falling into evil and hurting themselves. That's why I say that it's a jealous love. It's compassionate love. God did not want the Israelites leaving their wives and their kids to go have relations with the Moabites. Destroying their families. Causing such uh, unrootedness and unfaithfulness in, in their own homes. God's desire was not for them to bow down to a false God that had no power. God's heart for them was to walk in ways that would, they would be blessed in. And so his jealousy is always a response to evil and wanting to protect his men and women and kids from evil. Let me try to uh, give you an example of this. On Friday, uh, Marie and I took our two youngest kids to the L.A. Zoo. Have you ever been to the L.A. Zoo? Um, all the animals aren't there right now, so don't go. No. <laughs> but no, we had a good day just walking around uh, the L.A. Zoo. Imagine if we're sitting there at lunch at a picnic table in the zoo, and an adult man comes up to me. And he goes, hi, um, you know your six-year-old daughter? Um, I, I'm going to be her dad now. So you guys have done a good job for these first six years, but I'm going to take over now. So she's going to come with me. Okay, bye, you guys. I, I'm going to take her with me. Can you imagine as a dad what I would do in that moment? You'd probably hear the first swear word ever by Matt Doan at that point. Like, no way you're going to do that. I would step in, I would fight whatever I had to do, do whatever I had to do to protect my daughter from being taken by someone who wasn't her dad, didn't belong to her. Imagine, I don't want to get like too like gratuitous on this, but imagine that same person goes, I'm going to take your daughter. And I knew that this person was a convicted felon and had injured other kids. Can you imagine at that point what my anger and rage would do to protect my child from being hurt by this person? This, in a sense, is God's heart. God's watching his precious people bow down to a God who has no power, who isn't real, who is the figure of everyone's imagination, who gives people license to do awful things like traffic women. And God, in his righteous anger and jealousy of love, says, not a chance. I'm stepping in. My people belong to me. In other words, God isn't jealous of anyone. God is jealous for everyone. God loves you so much. that He will not allow you to bind yourself to Baal. 
I'll not allow you to bind yourself to the false worship of politics. He will not allow you to bind yourself to the false worship of my identity is in this. You will not allow yourself to bind yourself to the false worship of materialism or relationships. God says, you belong to me. I made you in my image and I am jealously loving you by giving you consequences for your sin so that you'll repent and then turn back to me. So that's why Phineas is commended here. Now, this is a um, descriptive story, not a prescriptive story. Meaning, <laughs> don't take the story and be like, okay, whenever I see somebody in sin, I'm going to break out a spear and go to town. <laughs> no, this, this was particularized for this moment for these people. And yet some of the principles still apply for us here today. Here's the final thing, and I want to make a little connection here to Jesus. Phineas is commended. It says that he'll be blessed. It says that he'll be used by God even beyond this moment. Phineas is actually a little glimpse, a hint, a foreshadow to Jesus. You see, Phineas pierced in order to stop sin. Jesus was pierced in order to stop sin. Look at Isaiah 53, a passage that we celebrate most often on Good Friday. It says here that he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Is that good news? Isn't that good news? All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've been deceived. We've disobeyed. We've disbelieved. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus came not with a spear to look around of, okay, who's, who's sinning? I'm, I'm going to stab him right here. Take him out. Jesus said, I will take the spear for you. The spear that you so rightfully deserve, I will take for you because I'm a jealous God who loves you and I want a relationship with you. Such good news, isn't it? Wow. This is what the book of Numbers is all about. See, the ultimate hero who stopped the plague is Jesus. Jesus is the hero who stopped the plague of sin. Phineas stopped the plague for a moment, but spoiler alert, as you read the rest of the Old Testament, the people kept doing this, right? Deceived, disobey, disbelieving, constantly having to atone for their sins. Jesus came to atone for our sins once and for all. He is the hero who stopped the plague. <laughs> So great. So I'm going to pray in just a moment, invite our worship team to come up. Let's respond with just thankfulness, gratefulness. But I do want to just give one, one, one more thing. If you're in a place where you're feeling deceived right now, maybe you're just walking in disobedience, 
Maybe you've even like literally just pledged yourself to a false god. Jesus is here to turn to, to return to. It's never too late. Now is the time. I would encourage us, even as I pray right now, make it your prayer. Lord, forgive me for my deceitful heart, my disobedience. May I return to you even in this moment. So let's pray. Father, thank you that stories written thousands of years ago matter here in 2021. God, we're the same people. God, thank you that your grace is sufficient in our weakness. That your power is made perfect. God, thank you that Jesus, you, you really did come. You took the piercing that we deserved. You're the hero that stopped the plague. God, may our response be to live for you. In the name of Christ, amen.